Hey there, JudgeCast listeners. Thank you for listening to JudgeCast. Uh, this is our second take at trying to publish episode number 174. Our previous attempt to publish this episode had an unfortunate editing error where all of my audio was stacked on top of everyone else's and all of the audio was smushed together in ways that it should not have been. Uh, we have now fixed that problem and this episode is all of about six or seven minutes longer because of that smushing, and we've uh, we've gotten it fixed. Thank you for your patience. If you downloaded that episode and listened to it already, I'm sorry for putting you through that weird din of noises altogether. All right, without further ado, let's get to the show. Welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 174. Uh, my name is Brian Perlman, level three from Orlando, Florida, and I am joined with my two wonderful co-hosts. Go ahead and sound off. Hey, this is Jess Dunks. And this is Brogan King. Oh, because we get our do our levels and stuff. Oh, oh, well, I'm, I'm a level two. I live in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, I'm, I'm a level three from Atlanta, Georgia. Are we, is that, are we doing that now? Are we going back what? to doing this, the sounding off of levels? Know. It's, it's, we did that for a while. We did. And can we, can we, we just stopped. start making up places where we live and see if anyone notices? Like I'm, I from, live. I'm from Smyrna, Georgia. Yeah, that place isn't real. No? Uh, <laughs> okay, so we have a great show for you tonight as opposed to – or this afternoon or this morning or your commute to work, you know, wherever you're listening. <laughs> pull it out of the driveway. Um, right. Pull it out of the driveway. Also, even if it wasn't a great show, I'd still tell you that it was. But we are joined tonight or today or this morning or pulling out of your driveway by Paul Baronet, also known as Bears. Uh, Paul, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm Paul Baronet. Uh, I guess we're doing this. I'm level three from New York, New York. Uh, by day, I'm a software engineer at a startup. By night, I'm a judge. And some of the projects I work on are judge ups and level two advancement for the Northeast region. It would be really cool to have uh, actually an episode just about judge apps. Uh, that, that we could do I that. Mean, that's that's a pretty deep topic. Like we could uh, we should probably do that sometime. So after we're done talking about today's topic, we can maybe bring you back for that one at some point. Hey, that'd be fun. Cool. Okay. So today what we're going to be talking about is uh, team events, team constructed and a little bit uh, a little bit of sealed. Um, both uh, both Paul and Jess have had the fortune uh, the fortunate experience of head judging uh, these events. So what's going to happen is uh, they're going to they're going to tell us about their experiences and tell us about some of the unique challenges of doing team events. There are some interesting challenges for that. Uh, yeah, and specifically, uh, Paul and I, and you're going to hear me refer to Paul as Bears probably at some point this episode, so I'm just going to throw that out there now. Um, you're gonna, the uh, We had judged team-constructed opens. You may have played in a team-sealed event before, but very recently we had team-constructed opens uh, that were um, not... Uh, unified constructed rather three different formats which was a weird uh, weird experience so many players had really no idea what everyone thought and assumed it was going to be unified in some way and it was 
there were there were players all over the place being very confused even going into the event about what format the events were and i don't know if that was actually a problem for for y'all head judging i didn't notice it being a problem at all uh there was not anyone who had well obviously there weren't any deck deckless problems because of unified construction rules uh but nor did i notice anyone not playing certain fetches or shock lands because some one of their teammates was using them they weren't trying to accommodate for their teammates in any way yeah. uh no well what's funny is i didn't see any player confusion what i did see going into the event was judge confusion uh where there were judges who, for whatever reason, uh, as we went into the event, didn't realize that there that we weren't using unified construction. So, so let me before we get in there and just uh, uh, talk about team construct, uh, talk about team constructed in general. So, how does how does a team constructed event work? Like, what does a match look like that makes it different uh, uh, from a from a normal event? Sure. Uh, so you actually just have three players, uh, the A player, the B player, the C player, and each of them plays a single format. And actually the way that SCG laid it out, you had the legacy player on one side, the modern player in the middle, and the standard player on the other side. Uh, and those were always A, legacy, B, modern, C, standard. Always, always, always. Was there ever a problem with anybody sitting down and thinking they are playing against the wrong person? And like, I sit down and think I'm playing standard, and someone just plays a, uh, an underground C. I'm, I'm pretty sure I spent more time thinking about it than it actually was an issue. Uh, wondering if Deal. I would have to have to give tardiness to both players or just l sort of let it slide. Uh, it did not happen, or at least I certainly didn't hear about it. So it means that if there was a ruling, the players are happy with it and didn't get appealed. Um, I I did see uh, during my event I, I in Louisville I saw uh, only once uh, players like do the shuffle after they start where they like you see players on each end get up and move. Uh, yeah, but I made it a point to announce, like, it wasn't that much overhead to just add to my beginning of round announcements. Please make sure the person across from you is playing the same format. You have 50 minutes to play your match. Please begin. Oh, do the do the, the swap? Yes. That is good. I did not do that. Okay. So we we sit down, A plays A, B plays B, C plays C. Um, so the... Does this, everybody gets their own match result? Uh, slip? How's, how's yeah. that? So it's best two out of three uh, games in each of those three matches. But the way that the, the team match plays out, uh, the team that has won the most matches has won the, 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 the total match, if you will. Um, and the mega match. Yeah, the mega match, which I, I, I heard is a, did you coin that term? Uh, it may have been John Bryan, to be honest. Okay. Yeah, that was that was great terminology. The mega match and the mini match, um, and we should uh, use that during the episode to make sure that we are um, clear about what we're talking about. If plus one plus one counter match. <laughs> if I were to, uh, if if Judge Cast were a team, ah. and and uh, I will let everyone claim their formats. If Judge Cast were a team, and Jess and Brian both win before I finish, do I have to continue playing Magic? You do not. And in fact, the judges will ask you for the slip, and that's because the tiebreaker... There, there is no tiebreaker involving whether you won more mini-matches than any other team. Yes. 
And that was the other thing I added to my announcements when I called time for the round. Uh, I said, if your team has already won two matches, uh, please sign your slip and turn it in now. It's just straight up you won or lost. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. So that would make me think that uh, matches would actually go faster, right? So I was going to ask you, Bears, what was your experience with that? Because mine was not what I expected. I think they sometimes can, but this is a format with legacy. Uh, we had pretty decent turnaround. Uh, the I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was it was good for an open. And the the biggest source of delay wasn't players; it was just actually the logistics of waiting for coverage to pick the feature matches, things like that. Uh, so. I don't remember it being especially faster than any other format, but it definitely wasn't slower. Uh, my recollection of the Open in Louisville was that it was, in fact, faster than any of the individual formats. Um, nice. And That's awesome. It, I did not expect that, because if you've been to a Team Sealed event, you oh, know God. that it is in no way faster. <laughs> uh, th- those are incredibly slow, but I think... Uh, I think with Team Constructed, people are far more familiar with the matchups and the decision trees. I also think it's it's more if I'm if I'm on a team and I'm playing Legacy, I'm probably the Legacy expert on my team, and you probably don't nece- like you don't necessarily have a whole lot of input on my plays. Exactly, we're, we're existing more on an island. I did see that a lot. I did see that where where the Legacy player or whatever formats player would say, hey, what do you think about this? I want to do X. And their teammate would be like, well, I think you should do Y, but, but you know, you know the deck. Uh, and just kind of defer to the person piloting, which I almost never see in Sealed. In Team Sealed, everybody wants to drive. Everybody right. wants to be the person in charge, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it, it was a little different when, for example, one mini-match was done and someone could dedicate their entire attention to their teammates. That definitely slowed things down in my experience, at least especially in the feature match area. I'm not so sure about other matches. I, I, th- I, I saw that in both the feature match area and outside of it. Um, I, was, uh, uh, I, I was a bit aggressive about making sure that those, those discussions were cut short. Right. Which is great. Uh, be- I think that's super they, reasonable. They, yeah, because they can. There's nothing wrong with discussing, and in a team event, you should. Uh, it's encouraged to discuss with fun. your teammates uh, what you want to do, but you shouldn't spend their spend a lot of time taking forever. That discussion shouldn't take significantly longer than it would if you were just thinking about it on your own. Right. Right. If the goal if the goal is to to help make decisions, your input should not make the decisions take longer. Exactly. There is some weirdness with uh, with penalties and such. If you, for example, get a game loss for something, it feels like your whole team is being punished. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, if you for it, we had players who, for whatever reason, messed up their deck list uh, in a way that required that they get a, a game loss, and so their whole team gave them crap about it Aww. because because oh you can't fill out a deck loss now we have this game loss but what's actually interesting about that is it it it's this weird policy area because the game loss is actually less punishing of a team event yeah because it's only like a sixth or a ninth of the actual match yeah it's a lower percentage of influence over your match yeah, yeah. right exactly that right. is interesting yeah uh, that, that that being said it, it was totally relevant when we had a, a an unfortunate deck list game loss in the top eight. Oh wow uh i didn't know but that. yeah that that uh, it wasn't it didn't have it on coverage but one of the top eight teams was uh uh had a deck list problem that was caught during the last round when they were playing their win and um 
and it was like no ambiguity on it on it at all and like they weren't even upset about it they were just like yep yep that's what that says uh yeah i guess i'm getting a game loss jeez we we messed up um this is this is popping back a little bit but i'm curious from a from a judge logistics standpoint how much more complicated is collecting deck lists i know what i did and i feel like my system was pretty good uh in that i i wanted to have all the so the options i considered first of all was i considered that i could either have team deck lists together or i could have format deck lists together and i felt it was a lot better to have team deck lists together so it was just like a b and c should be together and we would organize it by one player and we, we decided it should be player a who is the legacy player now, for collecting those deck lists and making sure they're in the right order, uh, what I decided to do was uh, I gave my opening announcement to the 900 players in the event, and then I said, all right, if you're a legacy player, please stand up. And all the legacy players stood up, and I said, if your teammate is standing up, hand them your deck list. And and, and then I had just judges collect deck lists from the, the player standing up, and I told them once a judge has collected your deck list, sit down. And it also gave us this cool visual of I well, really where like is that. it? Where do they need yeah. help in the room? Where where's that's the really spot? sweet. Oh, that's really cool. And it worked out really, really well. Great. The thing I didn't expect about that is when I said legacy players stand up, they all cheered. <laughs> okay, <Aww>. so so, <laughs> so something very similar happened in the Baltimore Open, which is that I also did what you did, Jess, which was have everyone hand their list to player A, and I said that player A is the team captain. And as soon as I said that, <laughs> everyone in the room went crazy because they were incredibly <laughs> excited that the head judge told them they were the captain. <laughs> I was I'm like, the captain now. Exactly. I was like, okay, this is only supposed to be for deck checks, but if you want to be the captain all day, I guess I've made that happen now. You got it. Did that actually, do you feel like that impacted the attitude of any of the players involved like somebody felt like they had the right to boss their teammates around I, I, now i sincerely hope not maybe maybe it happened uh but i do know that it made those players very happy in the moment and a couple people like kept mentioning it to me later in the weekend i don't know legacy players need something to make their their days a little little better exactly i'm into that i'm into that too uh the one thing that i did that you didn't mention jess was that I, we had Every player write player A's name in the bottom right corner of the deck list. Uh, that's that's a uh, uh, that's a good call. I actually did do that as well. It wasn't okay. It wasn't my suggestion. That was uh, John Brian McCarthy's suggestion. I believe we we both scheduled him as the deck checks lead. Exactly. Uh, so precisely, yeah. So John Brian had a great plan for collecting the deck lists, and that was part of it. Uh, and what I I actually had all I had them all write the name, and then when I they all handed it to the legacy player, I said. Make sure you can read your name on their list. Okay, sure. <laughs> okay, like, uh, like I, I don't know how much of an impact, if any, that had. But my main concern was that since we were using names and not table numbers, we might end up in the situation where I couldn't read their chicken scratch, and it would be uh, hard to sort a list in, or or a list would get orphaned somewhere and we wouldn't be able to put it back. Uh, and that was like my main concern there. No, this is a dumb question. Would you have accepted my my the list if my teammates had spelled my names wrong my name wrong in the corner of their deck list? Like if they wrote my name as Broking. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably. I, I would have uh I prefer they get it right, but like if they get it wrong, like what am I gonna do about it? I guess I could probably uh claim that's a deck list problem, but I think <laughs> no. please, 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 uh, yeah, oh, please don't oh, ever do that. No. Uh, stop. I, mean, I accept. I accept my Starbucks name. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good Starbucks name. Um, 
Anyway, what were you going to say? I expected things to be a lot more chaotic, but uh, I was blessed with a good PA system. Uh, The players understood what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Standing up, I think, helped a lot, and it actually went really fast. We got everything collected. We got everything passed out. in case you haven't been to a Star City Games Open before, they have stuff that gets passed out to every player. Uh, and in this case, they had little packets that we passed out to every team. Um, and so that was much faster because, well, even though there are 900 players, you're only passing out 300 items instead of 900, um, which is, uh, you know, that's actually one of the things I wanted to talk about uh, with Paul was, in what ways did it seem to you to me, it felt like there were there were some times where I was like, "Wow, this is a 900 player event," and then there were other times where I was like, "This really feels more like a 300 player event." Exactly. What what, what ways did and you feel that? So I think that when it came to handing out items, so result slips and the packets of tokens for getting your playmats, like you mentioned already, and also for end of round, it was a lot more like a 300 person open. And also, actually, when it came to the start of the round, because one person from each team would basically figure out where their tables were, and that was it. You didn't have 900 people crushing the pairing sports or the pairings.starshitygames.com server. It was only 300. So those were some of the ways in which it was a much smaller open. Uh, some of the ways in which it was a much bigger open, the feel of it is actually the biggest thing for me. The, the energy in the room was really quite interesting because we had capped. It capped pretty far in advance as these things go, so people were really excited. There wasn't a ton of space in the convention center. It was really full. So there was a lot of energy, just like you would find at any other big event, I would say. And I think that as far as the judge calls, it was closer to a 900-person event. Uh, I didn't really see much of one team, the team like solving issues within themselves instead of calling for a judge. I think there were basically as many calls as you would have in a 900-person event. I actually felt like there were more uh, because I felt like the players were often encouraging each other to call a judge. Hey, you should call a judge for that. And, and, and I definitely felt that on appeals. There were a lot of times where a player was uncertain and their teammates said, you should appeal that. Oh, that makes sense. That would make sense to me as well. That's interesting. Uh, I don't recall that happening, but uh, I also never asked, I would say. It never really came up. Uh, I actually had very few appeals I, overall. Uh, I had I had quite a few. Uh, not as many, uh, not the most of any event I've, I've worked, but on the high end for sure. And uh, a lot of it was exactly that, that the judges would tell me afterwards, oh, everything was going fine until so-and-so said, oh, you should appeal. And I actually ended up giving out some, some uh, weird unsporting conduct warnings for that. Because the players, the players were, it was so weird. A player would interrupt the judge who was giving a ruling to their teammate to to say you should appeal that, which isn't technically covered (laughs) under the unsporting conduct warning, but I I felt philosophically that fits really well. Yeah, I I think I think as a as a philosophy thing, it's like you are you are actively cutting off a person who is trying to discuss something with you and and doubting their ability to do their job. We don't, no one has a problem with someone appealing, but just like cutting someone off before they even finish delivering a ruling, that's really rude. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I, the worst of this uh, actually didn't happen from a teammate. I just had a weird situation, which is tangential to team events, but uh, it's 
it was weird where I a judge came to ask me about a ruling, went back to the table and starts giving the ruling. And about three words in, the player who he's giving the ruling to kind of turns his head around, looks back at me and loudly goes, hey, can I talk to you about this? I don't think this is right. Oh, no. Like, yeah, yeah, come over here and talk to me. (laughs) That person get a USC minor? Yes, they did. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Absolutely, they did. And then I made them listen to the judge finish their ruling, and then we talked about it uh, away from the table, and then we went back to the table and dealt with it. That's great. Cool. I shouldn't shouldn't have to say this, but I just want to remind everyone out there listening— that none of us get enjoyment out of deliver like giving any sort of penalties or delivering rulings that people don't like. So saying, so us saying, oh, it's good that you gave that penalty. That's not saying, oh, it's good that like you 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 did this thing. It's good that if they were cl- it was clarified that that wasn't cool. It's good that you handled the situation correctly because it is a very hard penalty to give, and it's often not given when it should be. Correct. Yeah, I, I appreciate that clarification, and it's exactly what Paul said. It's it's hard to give a UC minor warning in a situation where it is warranted, because often the situation feels like it will escalate as soon as you do that, and sometimes that's true. Um, and so you need to be careful about those situations and deliver it in a, in a way that it doesn't just make it the, the world explode. Uh, but uh, but it, it, I think the reason that he said good, and, and I would have said good in the same situation, is because... Too often, players don't get those warnings because it's hard to give. And so that, that behavior is never able to be encouraged to be corrected. Right. Exactly. So so it was. it's uh, it's not that I enjoy going around with a, with my little uh, unsporting conduct hammer and telling people to, to, to be more polite. Um, Wait, do you have a hammer? No, but I kind of want one now. This is the hammer on the un- side. Yes, this is just like just make it a little I'll, like. I'll show you aggressive Mjolnir, behavior. Like, uh, I'm sorry. And then just have like minor written in uh, like Nordic script instead of minor. I love it. Yeah. So there, there was uh, there was some weirdness there because of that. Like the the player communication. Uh, in regards to judges was kind of strange because I felt like players were often encouraging uh, in, in in not all bad ways. They were interacting in judge calls of their teammates. Sometimes they would provide more information. Uh, sometimes they were, for example, like, like they would say, oh, well, in addition to that, this other thing happened and remind them about something. And that's great. Uh, sometimes it would be the opposite. Sometimes a player wouldn't be certain of a ruling and their teammate would be like, no, no, that's, that's right. That's how it's supposed to work. Um, and they would be like, oh, okay, that's fine, and, and that was good. Do you- yeah, I would say it really cuts both ways, basically. And some, I feel like it's sort of random as to whether an event has lots of appeals or just a few appeals. And I'm actually a little surprised that the I – th- I, rather, I think it's important to also discuss the formats in the context of team trios – because sometimes Legacy is just going to take a very long time. Sometimes Standard is going to take a very long time. Sometimes Modern slows down, although that's been pretty unlikely. And that can also make a big difference on how long the Mega Match takes. Yeah, I, I agree. I, uh, um, it was my experience that Standard, the majority of outstanding matches were Standard. Yeah, for me, for me it, was, it was like sort of during the height of Black Green, uh, Snake, and all of that. So you could have these big board stalls pretty frequently. Oh, like, wait, Snake or like... Delirium. Uh, well, I mean, the, 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 probably black green delirium, but I just like calling it snake because snake. That's fair. That's real. I understand. Yeah. Um, so it was just everything was 
grindy and the game is never ended. And everyone's attacking on the ground, so. Uh, I saw a lot of Storm, uh, a lot of like fast decks, a lot of combo decks. Uh, I think that many people decided that uh, playing combo decks was the correct call because it ended games quickly and that meant you could help more. Uh, I, I feel like also combo decks are historically a little cheaper than non-combo decks, at least in the older formats, uh, such that uh, you can build it on the fly or borrow it from friends easier, and I feel like that happened a lot. Right, you're not going to be playing necessarily as many original duels in your combo deck as if you wanted to play Stoneblade or Checkpile or something. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it was it was easier to just, oh, I, I one a person on my team supplies all the cards for all of us. Right. What, one thing I don't know is how many people had like a standard player and a modern player, but no legacy player, for example. Obviously, it can't have been that many people because the event capped out, but it's sort of interesting to think about. That, that's an interesting thing that you bring up, and, and also, uh, it also interestingly affected, I think, Sunday's classic numbers. The 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 classics uh, on Sunday, mm. there was one of each of those formats, which was unusual. And typically, the legacy classic is very very small. And yes. in Louisville, they were a lot closer to to the same size than you would expect. And I think that's just because you had 300 yeah, players in each format that had a deck. deck the previous day. Sure, exactly. Yeah, uh, that makes a lot and, of sense. Uh, and I, I think the appeals thing, uh, I don't know that format, to, to jump back to when you mentioned that, I don't know that format has as much to do with that as the propensity of the players themselves to appeal. Uh, in Louisville, I got kind of the impression that there were a lot more very competitive uh, players who were uh, very used to competitive tournaments in the competitive scene. And it has been my experience that when you have those players, they're far more likely to appeal rulings than... Uh, than your average Magic player. Uh, I found, for example, at the Invitational uh, that I that I had judged a couple of years ago or last year, I think, uh, that that appeals were through the roof, and I attributed that almost entirely to the fact that this is an Invitational, and they're all very accustomed to the appeals process and the tournament process. That makes a whole lot of sense, just because yeah. the, these are the people who go to these events. These are the people who know the the, pro- the appeals process, who know that that's an option, whereas yeah. at a well, lot of events, that's not even a thing that people necessarily know is an option. Right. And one thing I've, I've heard from a lot of European judges is that this mindset is common in the American pro scene, but not in the European pro scene. As you, as you said, Jess, uh, American pros see an appeal as basically a gimme. It's a chance to maybe get a different ruling, uh, maybe get it explained better. You basically can't lose by taking the appeal. And that kind of mindset, I'm not necessarily sure why, but it hasn't reached or isn't present in Europe quite so much. That's really interesting. Yeah. I I know I've, I've been saying that's really interesting a lot, but I, I promise it's genuine. Like that's, okay. that's something I hadn't actually known. Uh, and I'm I'm curious why that is. Well, I think just as much as judge culture can differ from uh, country to country, continent to continent, and it can, uh, player culture differs possibly even more. Um, you you definitely have some some differences in, in players, and I've met European players who have a strange, uh, uh, weird uh, respect for judges and don't want to appeal because that would be super disrespectful, and and we don't 
at least I don't see it that way. Um, and you know, ser- similarly, um, uh, I- I've seen that in judges where like, uh, I'm told that in Japan, judges run to judge calls. I heard about Wait, that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that, that's just, it, it would be, uh, that it would be disrespectful not to apparently. And then this is what I'm told. So I, I might, I've not witnessed this, but what I'm told is that they, they, uh, if a judge is called, they run to the judge call to get there as quickly as possible. And apparently some judges have stopwatches to, to time how long it takes them to get to judge calls. And wow. I've, I've not heard that, but, but that's totally different from in the U S if I see a judge running to a judge call, I'm going to pull him aside after that judge call and explain why running is bad. Exactly. And, uh, 100%, it's right. just a very right. different mentality. Well, and I think, uh, you see that in players as well. For what it's so, worth, running is running is bad because it it makes it seem like there's something wrong to the people around them. Like it just creates this weird sense of oh, I have to I have to go fix something. Where it's like no, let's go. Let's, so exactly with players too. Like if if I'm a judge and I run past your table, you're wondering what what's wrong, what just happened. Yeah, who who who's hurt? Uh, who passed out? Who's who stole some? So for for running, uh, there was one event. Uh, Sean Cannon Ace comes up to me and he, he he's just like, "Hey, I noticed that call back there. Both your feet came off the floor at the same time." <laughs> and and, oh. and I was just and I was like, "What?" He's like, "Both your feet were off the ground at the same time." I was like, "Um, I, <laughs> no." <laughs> it's just like I I don't I wasn't levitating. He's like, "No, but you were running." And I was like, "Ah." Uh, it took a minute uh, yeah, to realize yeah. what he meant. Yeah, he's like, both your feet were off the ground at the same time. I, d- d- the chair wasn't exceptionally large. He was <laughs> trying to be profound, you see. Yeah, uh, and it just pretty profound. Completely went over my head. <laughs> um, so another thing that I want to talk about is preparation for the event. Um, sure. I think as both Paul and I have kind of discussed, while there were a few differences, overall running the event seemed much like no- running a normal event. Yeah. Uh, but but kind of making sure I was prepared and the team was prepared for the event was, was different. Now, um, Paul and I both have uh, d- do a thing, at least I, I assume you did it before your event, where, where we do like little quizzes before events. Uh, and and I, I I kind of stole some questions from yours because you had done the team format before I did. Uh, uh, yes. So do you, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> you thief. Yeah. I, I like that. Uh, yeah. I like before I like the fact where Jess is like I assume that Paul did this because I stole questions <laughs> from him. No, no. I mean, I assume it wasn't like. Well, I mean, maybe it was the first time he did it. I don't know, but I assumed it was his habit. Um, no, it actually was the first time I've done it, and I actually stole it myself from Jeff Morrow, uh, who put out a really great, great quiz for, uh, I think one of the California GPs that I was doing, uh, earlier in this year. And it was a, it was a great idea, and for a couple of reasons, I, I took it. Um, I think it's a lot more interactive than just rattling off a list of things to be aware of, uh, Judges are kind of used to taking quizzes, and it's a it's a format that we understand. So I actually broke it. I and it was it was also a way for me to involve some other people in the process and get them invested. Uh, so I was able to get uh, Dan Collins, Tate Pradigaladad, and Jonah Kelman to actually write these quizzes for me. Um, and I actually had this other meta level, which is that Dan Collins was 
my appeals judge, my support judge, and he wrote the policy quiz, and Jonah and Tate did the rules quizzes. So for me and Dan, it was actually a good way of syncing up and making sure we had similar uh, outlooks on things that could be a bit ju- judgment calls, like on on backups. That's really cool, and also I that is the first time I've heard Tate's name pronounced, so, Tate's last name pronounced, so uh, thank you for that. I Absolutely. appreciate it. Yeah, I, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. I think Tate's a great person, and I was really excited that he you know came to be on staff and was such an active participant in everything. So. Um. So so you had them write quizzes and kind of merge them into one, or were they all separate? They were all they were all separate. So there was a policy quiz, a standard quiz, a legacy quiz, and a modern quiz, and people could take uh, you know one one or any. Uh, we had pretty decent participation. It definitely was not 100%, unfortunately. Uh, and there were a couple of questions. It was actually quite interesting to see which questions were missed very frequently. Uh, so, for example, there was a lot of confusion over uh, the deck deck list policy, which had changed then and has continued to change now. Uh, there was a lot of disagreement over a backup slash order out-of-order sequencing situation, which is fine because those can be a bit of a – our judgment calls very frequently. I'm trying to remember what else we had on the policy. Uh, oh, so, so there, there were a couple that were almost, uh, I don't want to necessarily call them honeypots, but they were very simple questions if you knew about team constructed. So basically uh, handling the thing we mentioned earlier with the mega match and the tiebreakers and the mini matches. Uh, so the, the question was, that, that same situation you mentioned, Brogan, where you're still playing your match, but Pearl and Jess are still going, what should the judge do in that situation? And the correct answer is have have the judge ask the players for the slip now. That makes but, sense. Yeah, but but not everyone got that correct, correct. So I knew that I had to reemphasize that in my briefing to the judges at, at the start of the day. So you had the, you had the questions that are like, the, for obviously to see if you read the textbook is what you're saying. Yeah. Basically. Like the questions that the teacher puts on the the test because they want to see who actually read the material. Yeah. If, if it was a lot like being being a teacher, which is a role that I don't get to step into very often. Now I I stole uh, some of Paul's questions and did a quiz myself. I only did one quiz as opposed to several. Ah. Um, and it was a combination of the uh, a quiz I had done for a previous open and the the team questions that Paul had. I, I was I was looking at his and I it was amusing because I realized that a good portion of the questions from his had actually become uh, incorrect or obsolete <laughs> depending on on the question based uh, on Bannix, policy updates. Uh, there there were there oh, were wow. uh, there were cards in. Uh, 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 there were split card questions. I, th- I think there was a split card question. I think there was a sensei's dividing top question. Um, yep. And so, like, <laughs> those look the same thing, right? Uh, those actually might have been the same question. Uh, think about it. But um, so, like, the the I saw some of the questions. But what was interesting about it to me was uh, it really gave me the opportunity to see what people were actually struggling with. Because giving a quiz and then collecting the results, and, and to be clear, I did this anonymously, right. so I didn't know who got what wrong. Same. I could only just see the numbers. Like, oh, 10% of my people got this question wrong, but 40% got this question wrong. Um, well, and the numbers were pretty good. For, I think I had 28, 28 people out of, like, 32 take the quiz. Mm-hmm. That, that's really good. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I've... I've, I've 
was surprised. I had a similar experience at the previous Open where a large percentage took the quiz. Uh, but what surprised me was the number of times I was surprised by what they didn't understand. The questions that I thought they were going to have problems with, everybody got right. And then the questions that I was like, oh, this is no big deal. Everybody will get this one. People would get it wrong and in, in like dramatic fashion. And uh, so I was like, this is, this is interesting. And it gave me something to talk about uh, at the very beginning of the day and say, hey, here, here is how people did. Thank you for taking this quiz. Let's talk about it. Um, That's really interesting. I really like this idea of getting sort of baseline knowledge of your staff as a whole, like mm-hmm. what what they're what you might need to reemphasize. I that's not actually something I have interacted with before, and I think it's really neat. What was what was your uh, take uh, test take rate? Like you know you have forty judges on staff. What percentage of them actually took the quiz? For me, it was actually pretty close to chess where it was in the 20s of the people who took it. And I had a uh, apparently a, about the same size staff. Uh, I had 27, 28 people on Saturday around that number. So also a pretty high taking rate. Uh, I, I was uh, I found really interesting is that I had, including myself, I had seven level three judges on my staff, which That's is amazing great. for an That's open. That's a lot. Uh, but I only had like four people get 100% on the quiz. Oh, and so. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I, just, judge I don't know who it was. Uh, Gotta go light some people on fire. This is yeah. the time when you, when you want some air horns. I'm, t- I'm telling you, we gotta get some air horns in here. Yeah. So I guess that's one interesting disadvantage of splitting up the rules and the policy, which is that uh, I don't necessarily know if people were doing really well with policy and then struggling with rules or. If there was there was some consistency across both sets of knowledge. Oh, that's a good point. Because oh, it was anonymous, so I yeah. it was anonymous, so I had no real way of associating the two halves together. So, were there any questions on this test about uh, bathrooms and like what to do if someone goes to the bathroom? One of the players. <laughs> I did not have any of those. I don't think Paul's did either. So, I had I had a question that was masquerading like one of those questions, but it was really about slow play. Okay. I promise that Brian's not just asking about bathrooms for <laughs> right now. Yes. I, no, no, no. My my question is, it's because I've I've seen a lot of questions about this recently crop up. Yeah. Uh, on Facebook and and various Slack forums and stuff like that. Yeah, this is an interesting one because this touches on an area. And let me actually, before I jump into what this touches on, what Brian is talking about is whether or not players are allowed to get up and go to the bathroom, and if so, if they come back, are they allowed to communicate with their team? Right. So, so let's let's be clear. They can go to the bathroom. We're not, going to, we're not going to stop them. We are not yes, the police. Absolutely, you should let them go to the bathroom. The, the, the question is whether or not they should be allowed to talk to their team when they get back. And there's some unfortunate ambiguity here. Um, and when I say ambiguity... A literal interpretation of the Magic Tournament rules would lead you to believe that once they get back, they should never, ever be able to talk to their team. But that same literal interpretation would also lead you to believe that if they've accidentally seen cards from their opponent's deck, they should also not talk to their team. Because what it says is, if they've had access, if they've had the ability to acquire hidden information, uh, they they shouldn't be able to talk to their team, which is not great wording. Really, really, what what it's meant to it's meant to keep 
or prevent is uh, you're done with your match and you're talking with one of your your other friends, like your fourth or fifth friend, not one of your teammates, who's been on the other side of the table and exactly. maybe you've seen what's in the other person's hand. Or when they go to the bathroom, they walk around the table in such a way or they or they approach from a side where they could see what's in the opposing team's hands. That's right. And so to put to put, to put Paul on the spot, what did you do for your event if a player wanted to get up and go to the bathroom? Okay, and uh, go ahead. I said they could go and that they could come back and continue talking to their teammates as if they hadn't left. And yeah, and my, my, my reasoning for that basically is that we don't strongly enforce the outside assistance rules away from the table. We don't require that they leave their cell phones at the table. We don't watch them go to the bathroom. We don't wait outside the door while they're doing their business. It is just certainly possible that players could be doing things we don't want them to do while they're on their bathroom break. And then that gets amplified in the, the team environment when you could be giving that information to your teammates. But my philosophy is that if we are allowing these sorts of bathroom breaks in competitive and professional relevance for singles matches, there's no reason that we should treat them any differently when we have a trios match. So if someone leaves, goes to the bathroom, and comes back, it's basically like they have not they have not left. The, the way I, I the way I've seen it or heard it done as far as the the bathroom breaks is player says judge can't go to the bathroom the judge says yes and then actually just tells them you know walk down this way and then go to the back like walk to the end of the table in this direction and go and go down and then return the same way like you yeah actually, sure you, you actually give them a path to prevent the i'll call it like the opportunistic problem of them walking up behind uh uh behind their opponent's team uh and just kind of catching a glimpse that way if you're directing them Go go down the long way down this table, and then you can go to the bathroom and then come back the same way. Yeah, I don't think that's absurd. Uh, it's not something I directed my my staff to do, or is it anything that came up at the Baltimore Open? But I wouldn't tell someone to stop doing that. So, Jess. Yes. What did you do? Uh, I actually did the opposite. I ah. said that if they went to the bathroom and came back, they they wouldn't be able to talk to their uh their team. Now, I I don't disagree with. Uh, Paul's philosophy on this actually it's it's very well thought out and I appreciate the conversation but uh, at the time my my thought was that it was more in line with the philosophy the philosophy that led the MTR to be written that way to enforce it in such a way and I still think that that that's true uh, but Paul made some very good points and if I had to do it again I would I would seriously reconsider here's what I, here's what I like about Jess, Jess's approach. It subtly encourages players to go to the bathroom between rounds as opposed to <laughs> as opposed to waiting until the round begins. I'm, that is true. I, I have personal experience being really salty about that rule because I was playing my winning in for day two of a team sealed GP and I won my match and had to go to the bathroom, and I could not wait. And when I, by, like, I came back, and they wouldn't even let me be anywhere near the table. Well, that's and, extreme. And then, and then my team lost. Yes. Uh, we were also playing against Josh Cho, Josh Utterlayton, and David Ochoa. Who are those guys? People who are good at Magic: The Gathering. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so what you're saying is, is regardless of whether or not you went to the bathroom or not, you still would have lost. I won my match. Look, oh. I, I totally 
one. I'm not gonna. I'm, I carried. I, I can only carry so hard. Yeah. Put put the team on your back. I can only put the team on my back so hard. Uh, At any rate. But yeah, seriously, go to the bathroom between matches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also had some other weird stuff come up with uh, team communication during during the top eight because th- during the top eight of an event with coverage, you have access to your opponent's deck list. And this is still true in a team situation, but I had to make sure that the players understood that they could still only look at the deck list of the game that was in sideboarding and not the deck list of, you know, the other matches. I, I That was one of the things I did not think about ahead of time, but that, that I did know what I wanted to do by the time the playoffs were coming into effect. Amusingly, trivia, for the Baltimore Open, it was just a top four. Oh, I had a full top eight. I had I had 24 players in my top that, eight. That is definitely the correct decision. Um, they they wanted to do the top four, I think, because... Well, I'm not, I think there were various reasons why they wanted to do a top four, uh, but they ended up showing both of the top four matches, and then they realized that, hey, this is taking the same amount of time as a top eight would, so let's just do that normal normal thing instead. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think it made sense for the players, too. Um, they, they really preferred that. It also meant that once you day twoed, your odds of making top eight were really good. Because, like, comparatively, because it's it's like being in an event where there are only 30 players and having to make top eight. Yeah, there's a there's a smaller pool to have to, to wade through, essentially. Like, it's not quite right. like that because you still have your record from the previous day and that has a huge influence. But it's not like an event where you're going, okay, well, I made day two and there were 80 of us. Yeah, exactly. I did have some weirdness. Um, I did have a weird situation where an entire table, an entire mega match, six players, were paying attention to the wrong clock oh, no. on Sunday oh. and thought they had an extra 20 minutes when I called time in the round. Holy uh, cow. And they were like, well, can we get some some you know extra consideration or anything? And I'm like, I unfortunately, no. Uh I, I announced yeah. I, that, that clock oh. has a sign on it that says it's for the other event, and I announced which clock we were on at the beginning of the beginning of the day and the beginning of the round. Um, I I don't I, I don't the problem was we had switched clocks, ah. so the clock they were looking at was the same one we'd been using the day before. Right. I was going to ask if this was if this was round ten. Uh, this no, it was round eleven. Huh. How? How did this happen? Uh, <laughs> one of the two teams had been in the feature match area during round 10. Ah. So they, I actually think that had a lot to do with it because it's possible sure. they did not hear that announcement because they were getting up and moving to their to their feature match. Also, for eventually, at that kind of event, half your event is in the feature match area. Yeah, that was weird too. Uh, with the top eight, it was even more weird because uh, I don't know how yours was set up, but we only had three teams worth of tables in the top eight, or in the feature match area, I mean. So our top eight was... Three matches in the feature match area and one match in the regular play area. That that's funny. <laughs> no way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we had a, we had a top four, so it didn't matter. But yes, we had the exact same thing where there were only three matches in the feature match area. <laughs> you are the feature match. Oh, that's that's funny. I mean, it was probably great for the spectators because it was a lot more accessible to see that fourth match. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, one thing I found throughout the, the entire weekend was referring to players by format was far more effective than trying to refer to them by letter. Uh, to say something like, you know, who is your A player, they don't actually know sure. most of the time. Mm-hmm. But to say, oh, who is your legacy player, they know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, there's no ambiguity there. You don't have to remember anything that you otherwise wouldn't have to remember. Uh, yeah. 
And this is important because also, like, you're doing deck checks in three formats. Which is cool. So it is cool, but, like, you know, you, you can... You could just deck check a table, and you can go up and be like, I know we've already checked the legacy. <laughs> During day two, we ended up checking the same team quite frequently uh, because there weren't that many teams. So our random deck checks would hit the same team. And so you'd know, all oh, we already checked the legacy list. And so you would just go up at the beginning of the day, and, and you, you know the modern's in the middle, and you could like hit modern or hit whichever one you, you wanted. And, uh, and you didn't have to worry about, like, in Team Sealed, that's hard to figure out. Well, which one's the A match? Are they sitting in the right place? But in this case, they're different formats, so it's it's really easy to see. Right. So what? How how did you determine uh, deck? Che- I mean, other than random tables, but how did you how did deck checks work? Uh, I don't know what uh is typical necessarily because this is relatively new. Uh, I instructed my deck checks team to try and keep it even, basically. Uh, to 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 not necessarily do it randomly, but I I. At the end of the first day, I kind of wanted to see that we had checked roughly the same amount of standard decks as modern decks as legacy decks. It would have been ideal to have enough judges on deck checks so that we could check one of each every time there was a deck check, but that unfortunately just didn't quite work out that way. Uh, we had some some weirdness in our schedule and some plane delays that caused issues. But Well, so I'm actually curious, how many deck check teams did you have? Uh, I actually only had one. Uh I, I considered going with more than one, but it didn't really work with the way I wanted to structure my teams. Okay, yeah, right. That that's what I've often found at opens, and I I like having just one deck checks team because it allows me to put more judges on the floor, and we still can pretty handily hit our targets of making sure we have everyone's list and hitting ten percent of the decks in the room. Uh, one thing I've done in the past, which I felt was a successful experiment that I haven't had the chance to try again and make sure it really is successful, is um, having a second deck checks team that is also the breaks team. So for like the first two or three rounds, they are a deck che- they're dedicated to being a deck checks team, and for like the last two or three rounds, they're dedicated to being a deck checks team. But in the middle, they're filling in for everybody's breaks, so you get the same amount of floor coverage. Yes, I think that's reasonable. I like that. I think that. Uh... EDB, Eric Dustin Brown, actually had a similar idea for last weekend's uh, Baltimore Open, which was modern, not team. Yeah, he he had a – that's that's almost exactly what he did. He did a um, – I wasn't there, but he made me look at this schedule about ten <laughs> times before he actually published it. Um, nice. Um, so he yeah. – uh, uh, it's basically there's a, there's a deck checks team, then there's a breaks team, but they can also – check decks sure yeah and I, th- I think that worked out really well and i think that people thought it made a lot of sense and was reasonably intuitive i don't think yeah. uh one, one thing we did that uh i didn't mention is once we got everybody's lists mm-hmm. we stapled them together yes that we stapled the team list together and, and, and at first uh the star oh. city game staff had told me oh you're not gonna be able to do that because we don't have any copies uh, i was like i what <laughs> uh no, I, I, I really want to do that. Is there any way we could make this work? And, and we worked it out and figured out what we were going to do, and we ended up using a stapler. But, um, uh, you know, that that's really important for not losing lists. And it also makes it really easy to find lists, because instead of... This is one of those ways it was like a 300-player event. We're only sorting through through the Legacy Players decks yep. to find a list. Correct. Uh, it, it was surprisingly difficult to copy the deck lists that had been stapled together, just the particular configuration of where SCG puts the name. And I think in particular, 
it was often the quantities on the creatures column, the far left column, that would get cut off if you try to just sort of fold the paper with the stapler still on it. Uh, so I, I, for various reasons, I ended up doing some copies on, on Sunday, and I had to use a staple remover to take out the staple and then staple them back together. That, that is a painful process. I, I, uh, I do remember that quite vividly. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was annoying. And I appreciate them still letting us use the staples despite that process. Yes. And uh, especially since I know that they had to make copies of, of all of the day two lists at least, and I think more than that, uh, all, all the coverage lists as well. Yeah, exactly. There's going to be some re- orphaned coverage lists that didn't make it onto day two but were copied because of coverage. That is a lot of, uh, of unstapling to do. Yes. A, a lot of trees died to make these opens a reality. I love I love that online deck lists are becoming more of a thing, and I am excited for the future of how that uh, how that goes. Yeah, but that's so I, that's 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 another. That point. could be a whole other judge cast. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's it, it's uh it's going to be good eventually, but it's got this painful transition where you have both going on at the same time. I agree. Yeah, it's it's a little awkward right now, but I think it's I think I think we're moving in a good direction. It's great when you have events like the Pro Tour where they just mandate that everyone does it online. I didn't I didn't know that was a thing. Today oh, yeah. I learned. Yeah, it's great. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm trying to think of other things that were interesting or different about this event. Uh, yeah, so what, one, one huge thing that came up for me, and I this goes back to the team communication, uh-huh. is teams being able to see the faces of other players' decks. So this actually came up a bunch at at Baltimore, uh, in part because there was a report from a couple of people that a particular team was deliberately having their A player look at the C player's deck and then like pass that information down Ooh. the line. Right. And that was really, really interesting, uh, in part because as best as I could determine I think it's pretty scummy, but it's not actually illegal. What ended up happening was that I just ended up announcing to the players uh, to be careful with how they're shuffling their decks, and unfortunately kind of shifting the onus onto the players to basically to protect themselves. Uh, To be clear, you were talking about uh, a player looking at a deck one of of the opposing team members is shuffling, right? Not not one of their own team members. So if I were shuffling my opponent's deck, I should not be doing it in yeah, a way exactly. where one of my teammates could see. Exactly right. The, exactly. I'm talking about uh, you know I'm I'm on I'm on my team. I'm playing against Team Judgecast. I'm playing against Brian, but I'm looking at Jess while Jess is shuffling his own deck, and then I play. I tell my teammate who's playing Jess what Jess is on. Uh, I actually had a, an investigation for a very similar situation during my open. Um, I'm really curious to hear how you handle it. Uh, well, we uh, what we had been reported to us was that a player was shuffling a deck in a way that his team could see it, mm. uh, his own team could I see, see it. And uh, so we investigated this by pulling the but we had three judges that were available and capable uh-huh. of this investigation. And I went, well, let's just separate the team. And yep. I, we pulled all three of them up and, uh, and had three of us talk to them. 
And then uh, as the head judge, I went and clarified with any of the players anything I needed to, to discuss with them individually. But pulling them aside and talking to them uh, all at the same time makes sure they don't have the opportunity to, well, frankly, collude on their stories. Yep. Uh, and uh, in this particular case, what ended up happening is that, that there was a misunderstanding uh, in the other team's communication where one player had said, that guy was oh. looking at my deck. And what they meant was they were looking at it while I was shuffling. And it had actually, and unfortunately, one of the players on the other team decided that no matter what, he wasn't going to tell us the truth about what happened. And so, oh. so we ended up disqualifying the team because one of the players just flat out lied about the entire situation. Yep. Uh, and that means that with six players and three judges, I had nine statements to type. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's a lot well it, it, it's just amazing because almost the exact same thing happened in the investigation i was talking about uh so myself dan collins and russell deutsch all took one of the three players that we were concerned was engaging in this behavior and asked them what they were doing because we had seen them sort of do the whole whisper down the line thing at the beginning of the match and we ju just asked them what did you tell your teammate slash what did you hear from your teammate? And their stories did not agree. Yep, that's almost exactly player, what happened. Yeah, the, the player in the middle just decided to, to lie to us. And it was so it was very straightforward, unfortunately, to remove them from the event. And the worst part of it was it was a situation where it seems like one of the players was really just trying to protect their teammate. Mm. Uh, and, and They didn't fully like, understand... What, what path they were leading themselves down? I think they did actually. I think I think they they kind of maybe did, but didn't want. Uh, I, and they knew that they, they knew you know lying to a judge is a bad. But thing, they didn't want right? their friend but, to get in trouble. But, exactly, and so they they're saying this thing, and when you're like, well, I'm I'm going to talk to all three of you. Are you sure that's what you want to that that's what happened? And they, at that point, they they feel they need to double down. <laughs> Always uh, double down. It's unfortunate because. That's a situation where, in, in this case, they weren't actually doing anything wrong. Uh, and by wrong, I mean cheating. Yeah. Right. Uh, whether you, whether that is morally or ethically wrong, I'll, I'll leave to the listener to decide. But um, what they were doing was not considered cheating. And it sounds like in Bear's situation, it was the same. Exactly. And I had the same kind of feeling as you did, Jess, where it was, I felt kind of how unfortunate the situation was in that it turned out not to be an issue, but the players turned it into an issue for whatever reason. I think the takeaway from this, though, is that uh, it's okay to do that investigation in that way, to separate all three players. Um, in in this case, I th think maybe I could have gone a little further to try and probe the guy who was lying to tell me the truth. Uh, and in retrospect, I, I think maybe I, I should have pushed more on that. But, um, but as far as the investigation itself is concerned, it's totally fine to pull the players aside and be like, hey, tell me what happened. Uh, and separate them and keep them from talking to each other. And I'm actually really curious to maybe have you elaborate on that a little more, because I've always been a little unsure of how to handle the tactic of if you don't tell me the truth, I think I think you're lying. If you don't tell me the truth right now, bad things are going to happen. I always feel very uncomfortable making statements that approach that because it's very aggressive, basically. It is aggressive. And, um, but it's it, also, it's also st in some ways, stating stating facts about what lying to a judge means. So, In situations where it's obvious you're investigating somebody, 
because sometimes there are those. Sometimes it's it's really clear this conversation is me investigating you for cheating. Um, in those situations, it's sometimes okay to start with that. Just hey, I'm I'm gonna we're gonna have a conversation about this. It's really important you tell me the truth because reasons. I right. think in that scenario, that person is already on guard enough and is already feeling threatened enough that that saying hey, please tell me the truth may actually feel like an out. It may actually feel kind of good. Like it, like I can redeem myself in some way. But uh, when the situation where it kind of escalates to that point where like maybe you didn't expect the player to be lying to you and suddenly it seems like they are, yeah, uh, that's where that gets awkward. Because then you end up in a situation where you're like, I really want this person to tell me the truth. Right. Uh, I don't believe what they're telling me. Um, and you know, it's, you've got to make sure that you give them the opportunity. And with team events, I think that's even more, uh, I feel like it's easier to do because you get to say, I want to make it clear. I've spoken to your teammates about what happened Mm -hmm. and, and I want to give you the opportunity to, to make sure you're telling me everything that occurred or something along those lines. Um, but you don't necessarily, it's, you're right. It's walking a fine line between, you have to make it clear that that lying to a judge is something that gets you disqualified, it, right? It's it's at the very least it's against the rules. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to say this gets you disqualified, but make it clear: lying to a judge is against the rules. You're not allowed to do that in this context, right? But uh, but you also don't want to be super aggressive. You don't want to be like, if you're lying to me right now, I'm going to DQ you, uh, <laughs> because if, then they have no yeah. reason to tell you the truth, right? And so the problem is. It's very easy to say it in a way that makes it sound like you're not going to believe whatever they say unless they tell you the thing you already believe. And that's that's dangerous. And, and I've seen that kind of thing happen where players are like, well, I, you're just not going to believe anything I say anyway. Um, and I feel it's it's in a in this case, it was very easy for me to feel confident in the truth because I had two players giving me one story and one player giving me a story that just didn't make any sense with the other two. Um so what you're saying is investigations are hard. They are. Uh, and we, we had a, it's a very old but good episode on investigations with, uh, Eric Levine a long time ago. And we've had a couple with Jared Silva on investigations. Uh, I, I'll, I'll link off to those in the show notes as well. They're very good. Um, and, uh, if you're interested in investigations, definitely check those out. Definitely. Uh, as far as, as far as the, the specific, like, you know, I, I need you to be telling me the truth thing. The best way to handle it is to just to just handle it and say you know, that. And basically, I have in the past said, "Let me tell you what I think happened. You tell me where I'm wrong." I think that's a good one uh, because I think X, Y, and Z happened. And then, in order for them to stick with their story, they have to actively refute it. They have to say, "Oh no, no, no! That that didn't happen. This other thing happened." Um, I think uh, I think that this is really in, like interesting dynamic that can actually make investigations infinitely easier on on judges if you have this the staff to be able to talk to three different people at once at least well you don't even need three different people actually you you only need to separate the three players so it doesn't it, as long as you have people there to make sure that people aren't just continuing to talk to each other I mean, what I would do in that case, if I if, if I was, say, judging a, for whatever reason, a team PPTQ, oh and I, was the, I, was, I was the only judge, okay, what I would probably do is say, 
player A, I'd like you to stay here. B and C, please come with me. Bring B and C, because I can hear their conversations at this point, because I'm next to them. Bring B and C out of the aisle and say, hey, player B, wait here for a second. And then oh. player C, come with <laughs> yeah. me. And now I've exactly. separated these players. And and now they can't talk to each other until I'm done talking to them. But you can still see all of them. You can still see all of them, and they can still see all their stuff. So it's not like you're yeah. you're like putting them in any uncomfortable, dangerous situation where they might you know lose their legacy deck. Uh, one of their teammates is still with all their stuff. Um, and so it's it's definitely possible to do this investigation on your own. It just takes a little more creativity in how you handle it because while you're walking those players around, you you know you might not disqualify these players, right? So don't walk them around behind the other team where they can see stuff they're not supposed to see. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's actually interesting if you if you do the investigation all by yourself, it takes longer, but you do reduce the sort of telephone problem of having to make sure that the other two judges you're working with and you are on the same page and have asked the same questions. That was actually how I went into it. That's a really good point. I went into this investigation before we asked, talked to the players. I said, okay, guys, here are the questions I need answers to when you come yeah. back. Um, and I told them what questions uh, and this, yeah. the, I'm not going to go into what questions because it varies depending on the context. But but I was like, here is what I want you to ask them. Obviously, ask any follow up questions you feel rel- are relevant. But these are the questions I need asked. Um, and I feel that that helped a lot because it didn't have we didn't have to keep going back and forth. And I only really needed to talk to the one player who gave us a different story because it wasn't the player I initially spoke with. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. You didn't have to have a billion follow up conversations. You just had to have the one. Yeah. It's also kind of an interesting way of doing investigation mentorship because you sort of have this this sub investigation that uh, one judge has, has has taken over, and that might be one of the only investigations they've done on their own, actually. But you've it, but you've given them a little bit of a script, which is great. And then you also have the investigation safety net of you can talk to them after. Yeah, I think I think yeah. that's that's really good. Uh... Making the judge do the investigation, I think, is actually really important. We're veering way off team topics now, but making the judge do the investigation is really important. The number of times I've had a judge come up to me and be like, oh, I think XYZ might be happening, and I'd like you to go investigate it. And I'm just like, well, (laughs) why don't you go investigate it? You know, you've already started. I'll be there with you, but here are some questions you could ask and get answers to, and and I'll, I'll just be there and be part of the conversation but you 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 drive this because you started it and if if you think that's something they can handle don't throw somebody in the deep end that can't handle that please but um i think it's a good mentorship tool to give somebody that safety net you were just talking about uh so that they can feel confident that yeah they may be in over their head but you're not going to let them drown uh and exactly. in the in this context with the team event you kind of have to do that because there's so many players but i think you could do that in individual events too and then this the other thing i wanted to point out is earlier i mentioned this whole idea of here's what i think happened tell me where i'm wrong your mindset should be that in pretty much every judge call you should be figuring out what you think happened and then looking for things that that right. show that that's wrong and that's not necessarily even the bad things if you think oh this is just a grv and it's obviously a mistake, you should still keep your eyes open for things that make that narrative not true. Yeah, how do we, we get here from, it, from from where we were before? I don't understand. That's that's why my, my favorite investigation question is just, well, why'd you do that? And if right. somebody and if somebody gets super def- like, yeah, there, there's all kinds of responses you can have to that. But I, I just love the question of, so why why'd you, why'd you do that? Right, and and that's my little pitch for why it's also so important that judges understand the format because you 
should be able to understand who is winning, what are the consequences if a player does or doesn't do certain things, what are they constrained on, mana, life, cards, and being experienced. You don't even have to be super experienced with the game. You just have to have a basic understanding of what the draft format looks like. And just you have, can get have some context. There. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the number of times where an investigation occurs simply because this otherwise innocent-seeming GRB will end the game. Right. Uh, and you're like, whoa, hold on. This player who made this mistake massively benefits from it. Let's take a closer look. Uh, that you wouldn't have noticed if maybe you weren't as familiar with the format or you just didn't check their life totals when you got to the table, which, please check <laughs> the life totals when you get to the table. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that, that kind of thing is, uh, you know, that's just that little brief few seconds of investigating what's going on here outside of this particular infraction uh, really helps. Um, and I think I, I think I want to kind of drive us off of investigations because... Yeah. I was going to say, now that, now that we've gone so so far off topic... We're... we're um, so, you know, I, uh, I think ha- having judged the team event, there were definitely some logistic challenges. There were things that could have gone wrong that didn't... Um, we had an issue at the beginning of the day where round one, for example, uh, Walter, which ah. is the uh, large tournament reporter, uh, decided to randomly reassign players uh, inside their own team. Oh, so different A's, B's, and C's? Yes. Uh, Ooh, now, that's exciting. fortunately, because of the fact that it was multi-format team constructed, the players figured it out themselves. Right. Because they're just they sit in the right seat and they're like, wait, my opponent's playing modern or whatever, and uh, and then they would correct themselves, and that actually was was what started the beginning of the round announcement of check your, your uh. to make sure your opponent is correct because in the first round we were like it's not going to be correct. Interesting. Uh, and uh, so when I said there was only one shuffle, I guess it was after that there was only because that was like a massive shuffle. Um, Got it. But a large but yeah, so we shuffle. had this weird thing at the beginning of the day. Uh, that fortunately we caught right at the beginning, but you never know what's, what weirdness is going to happen in a team event. And so being able to kind of tackle that, the really hard part was just making sure the event got started and moving. And I think that's true for every event. We just had slightly different challenges. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that I ended up doing for this event was using what I called a, a rocks and rocks mentality for the team leads. And that's a play on something Ricky Haishi came up with, came up with on his blog a while ago, which was dividing your team leads into rocks and reaches, which is that you have rocks as in solid as a. So these are people who have done it before. You know that they'll do a good job. You don't have to spend too much energy as the head judge managing them or checking in with them. Whereas your reaches are your way of getting some people some more experience. They might do great. They might need a lot of help. Maybe there's a couple experienced judges on their team to be their safety net, like we've talked about before. Uh, but they're un- unproven. Lots of potential, but unproven. Because Baltimore was a team event, and especially because it was the first team event, I diverged from the mentality and went with rocks and rocks. So I had very solid team leads, John Brian McCarthy, Martha Lufkin, Sean Doherty, Abe Corston, and then Jonah Kelman off on, on, on sides. Uh, really great for Saturday and made things go super, super smoothly. And I sort of put the mentorship energy that I otherwise would have spent on Saturday actually into Sunday, where I had two judges who were my point people for paper and deck checks who had not done it before. 
I had an interesting uh, experience with the rocks and reaches idea. I, I had set up my team more traditionally, not the rocks and rocks stacking like you just described, but <clears throat> rocks and reaches. Mm-hmm. And really, I, I don't. It's not that binary. I had some great people as team leads. I don't want to put anybody in a position of feeling like, oh, yeah. well, you were the reach, because that's not actually true. Uh, but uh, but I, I had some really really good rocks that I could put in team lead positions. Now I had a weird situation in that. Two of those rocks had flight delays. Oh, wow. So, so I had people that had to step up as team leads who didn't know that was going to be the case until like 11 p.m. the night before. Jeez. And, uh, and specific call out to, uh, uh, David Eldon, uh, for doing a good job as the deck checks team lead in that circumstance. Great. Uh, because this is so weird with the deck checks format or not the, the, the multi format. Uh, event and he was able to step up and take uh, John Bryan, who had un- unfor- he did eventually make it, but his flight was delayed. Um, he took John Bryan's plan, executed it, and made changes where necessary, and was able to communicate with me very well. I was very impressed with that, and so I thought it appropriate to say, "Hey, good job with that." Yeah, um, that's great. And uh, so we we had we had a really weird situation there, and we ended up getting through it. But that was a bit stressful too, uh, where I you know, when you take two strong judges, because the other judge who had a flight delay was uh, Matt Williams, was Billy Willie. And Ooh. so when you take two strong judges and you're like, oh, these are people that I was expecting to be here right now. Cornerstones of the staff. Uh, are <laughs> Holding we, are down we gonna, my event. Right. Yeah. Are we going to be okay? Right. And it turns out we were great. We're fine. But uh, but you, it's easy to get into a feeling of panic when that happens. And you kind of have to stave that off and be like, is this actually something to panic about right now? Or are we good? Uh, I, I kind of had that sense with the event capping, to be honest. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we ended up with slightly fewer judges than, than you had, and there were definitely moments where we were stretched quite thin on the staff. Uh, and I think as the head judge, it's very important to always focus on the positive aspects of things, like this this event capped. It's going to be great. It's going to be historic. We're going to have to work really hard, as opposed to being – just really negative and ca- and it's it's all about how you portray things. It's the exact same facts, but communication matters so much for morale. Just not letting yourself get bogged down. Yeah, exactly. And you need to stop worrying about the things you you can't control anymore. For example. Yeah, and it's there's so much to be said for how you communicate in general. Like for example, there's. In this situation where I have a team lead not here and somebody else has to step up, there are ways to say that poorly and there are ways to say that well when you're telling yeah. the team at the beginning of the day. Um, you know, saying, uh, well, you know, John Bryan's not here, so uh, I guess this person's the <laughs> team lead is a really bad way to do that. Right. Um, but, you know, saying, uh, you know, John Bryan isn't here yet because of flight delays. But fortunately, so-and-so is on his team, and I know they can step up and do a good job, is a way better way of putting that. Or, and I'm sure there are even better ways to say it than that. But um, how you communicate in the midst of that, that oh, God, what am I going to do moment. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's part of what's really interesting about judging, which is that most of these communication patterns aren't something that I turn on for judging. They're something I've learned and honed through judging, but I use them all the time. They, they don't exist in the judge vacuum. Exactly. Like they come up, they come up at work and in my, in my personal life. And I guess I also just have a positive personality in general, or so people tell me. On the on the note of uh, 
conveying things in a positive way. Is there any uh, is there any other stuff we want to let people know about team events, team constructed? I've talked about all the things I had in my mental agenda. I think I've hit uh, everything I wanted to talk about. I'm certain that as soon as we are done with this episode, um, I'm I'm going to think of something. But uh, yeah, but I I wanted that, to talk about works. these events because they're yeah. kind of uh, they're unique in both scope and that uh, they don't happen very often. Uh, and I'm sure we're going to see more of them moving forward. Yeah, people love them. I they, think it's going to be more more of a thing. Yeah, they're a great innovation from Star City Games, and the players really enjoy them. The judges like them too. Uh, a lot of judges like to play in them also, which is pretty fun. Yeah, I, I mean, I think 900 players in Kentucky says we're going to have another one. Exactly. So, Team JudgeCast? Team JudgeCast. Team JudgeCast, yeah. Ju- ju- the JudgeCast-sponsored team. Uh, <laughs> if, if you... I'm in. I'm ready. <laughs> I could see it. I could see it, yeah. We oh, need t-shirts, say, is, is there JudgeCast swag? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure... Uh, not at this time. I mean, so we've talked about it, we've joked about it before. I'm pretty sure that if you sold JudgeCast t-shirts, people would buy them. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe we'll look into that. That seems like that could be a thing. I, I mean, it can't be that hard. I no. believe. Yeah. Um, you know what? Actually, that's a really good question. Um, if you, yeah, if, if Brian, you want them. Th- th- thanks for bringing that up. Uh, if you are listening to this and you would like a JudgeCast t-shirt, uh, let us know in some way. Like, it'd be like, hey, I want a JudgeCast t-shirt. And, and let us know that there's enough interest to actually make that happen. Uh, or if you have another idea, if you're like, oh, I want a JudgeCast notebook or Judge whatever. Cast like that, whatever. sleeves. Sleeves. Yeah, I mean, usually most t-shirts have sleeves. Oh, my <laughs> <laughs> We gotta... So, we gotta, uh, we gotta stop. Oh, no. Bears, is there anything that you wanted to... Uh, that's not the team open that you wanted to talk about or plug before we sign off the show today? Uh, my plug is just for diversity and inclusion. Baltimore was memorable for me for one other reason, which is that I made a concerted effort in my opening announcements to ask the players to be respectful and supporting to each other, treat each other with kindness and the way they would want to be welcomed into our community. And that was very well received by a number of people in the community, judges and players alike. So if you are a judge listening to this, my earnest hope for you is to be a force for good and awesomeness in your local game store, at the events that you run, at the events that you're on staff for. Aw, that was so heartwarming. Thanks. That was that was actually I I may have to uh, I may have to disrespectfully steal that idea from you <laughs> by all by all means thank you paul you're welcome Brian. all right well if you are uh, a new listener you can subscribe to judge cast on itunes or wherever you normally get your podcasts uh if you are new to podcasts in general i would recommend itunes it's actually really good for podcasts uh go ahead and rate us five stars there you can find our entire JudgeCast archive at JudgeCast.com. It has a search function to find specific episodes. And you can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash JudgeCast and on Twitter at Twitter.com slash JudgeCast. Thank you very much for listening to episode 174. My name is Jess Dunks, and I keep it fair. My name is Bergen King, and I keep it fun. I have to say the last name now, I've been told. Bye, everyone. Bye.